Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. We spent the second hour of the show talking about the demise of the small town and why this matters and why conservatives need to focus on the good, the beautiful, and the true. And I think conservatives have done a really good job on focusing on the true, but that's not enough. Uh, conservatives are, are more focused now than, than recent memory on the good, on virtue. Uh, but we also need to focus on, on what is beautiful. Uh, they, they need to work together. That's conservatism, the good, the beautiful, and the true. So we talked about architecture and towns and the demise of the town. Global, when people think about globalization, I think they think of free trade and they think of immigration. Uh, but I also want us to think of uh, the demise of our towns and how we can reclaim them and take them back. So that's what we talked about in the second hour. Uh, you can listen to that on SiriusXM app. Uh, but this is the opening segment about uh, Osama bin Laden and how the young people... Oh, as we talked to John Nolte later, he said, no, 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 young Democrats love bin Laden. percent of young people get their news their primary source of news is tiktok i don't even know what that means uh, what do you mean you get news from tiktok what are you talking about and tiktok of course a chinese propaganda company 32 percent, and that number will only go up so we've said this for uh, how long is this uh, israel thing like a month and a half or so i think like the day after this happened I said, if 9-11 happened today, just we were talking about the lack of moral clarity and we're so morally confused and we, we don't understand, like, we're so, like, we're so messed up. And I said, you know, if 9-11 happened today, half the country would be saying, you know, Osama kind of has a point. We see all these Hamas apologists out there. And I, I, I just... Seems like we will never have a 9-12 moment ever again in this country. A moment where there we'll have unity over a thing, even if we get attacked. Even if we're attacked again. When we're attacked again. Majority of people are going to say it's our fault. If 9-11 happened today, people would come to the side of Osama bin Laden. That's how morally confused we are. And I wasn't really joking. And sure enough, here, here's, here's your proof. Apparently, I didn't even know this, but in 2002, there was a letter that Osama bin Laden supposedly wrote. I don't even know how true it is. It's called A Letter to the American People. I don't know if he really wrote it. It doesn't matter for our purposes here because people think he did. And I guess this letter been making the rounds on TikTok and a bunch of lefties have made videos reacting to it here's some which is osama bin laden's letter to america explaining why he attacked americans and i am ashamed to say that i not only have never read this letter but i didn't even know this letter existed it's wild and everyone should read it if you haven't read it yet read it however be forewarned that this has left me very disillusioned and I feel the same exact way I felt when I was deconstructing Christianity. I feel uh, a little bit just confused, like I have entered into another timeline. What is this? And yeah, so 
Go read it. So I just read a letter to America. And I will never look at life the same. I will never look at this country the same. I will never. I Please read it. And if you have read it, let me know if you are also going through an existential crisis in this very moment. Because in the last 20 minutes, my entire viewpoint on the entire life I have believed and I have lived has changed. Please read that entire letter. I need everyone to stop what they're doing right now and go read. It's literally two pages. Go read A Letter to America. And please come back here and just let me know what you think. Because I feel like I'm going through like an existential crisis right now. And a lot of people are. So I just need someone else to be feeling this too. I need you to stop what you're doing and go read A Letter to America. It is literally the craziest thing I've read in a while. And while I can't say that I'm that surprised, I am pretty shocked. So Okay, all right, goes. Interesting how they use similar terms, right? I'm having an existential crisis. And that first woman talked about deconstructing. I feel the same way after I deconstructed Christianity. David Burge says, if your kids think Bin Laden made some good points, wait till I tell you about a vegetarian former art student with an ironic mustache whose impassioned manifesto about the Zionist oppression of his people sparked a worldwide movement. So a couple, couple quotes from the letter. Have you ever read the letter? I didn't know there was a letter. So I read the letter. Uh, so it's about why, we, why, why he attacked, why he killed 3,000 Americans on, on 9-11. Uh, so we form our reply based on two questions directed to the Americans. Question one, why are we fighting and opposing you? Question two, what are we calling you to and what do we want from you? Okay. As for the first question, why are we fighting and opposing you? The answer is very simple because you attacked us and continue to attack us. A, you attacked us in Palestine. Palestine was just sunk under military occupation for more than 80 years. The British handed over Palestine with your help and your support to the Jews who have occupied it for more than 50 years. Years overflowing with oppression, tyranny, crimes, killing, expulsion, destruction, and devastation. B, you attacked us in Somalia. You supported the Russian atrocities against us in Chechnya, the Indian oppression against us in Kashmir, and the Jewish aggression against us in Lebanon. Your forces occupy our countries. You spread your military bases throughout them. You corrupt our lands and you besiege our sanctities to protect the security of the Jews and to ensure the continuity of your pillage of our treasure. These tragedies and calamities are only a few examples of your oppression and aggression against us. Listen, young people read this and they're like, oh wow, he has a good point. We are oppressive. I've been learning about how oppressive we are for my entire life in school. And here's all the proof. Quick sidebar before I go back to Osama bin Laden. This is Rachel Wolf. She says people are not agreeing with the bin Laden letter because TikTok destroyed their brains. They're agreeing because most major institutions in America have been screaming at them about America and Western civilization is a source of all evil in the world since like 2004. Let's not pretend that someone who took eight college classes on de deconstructing the American empire for a, a colonialism studies at Berkeley, colonialism studies major at Berkeley, was just radicalized on TikTok. Even if you were an engineer, you were uh, exposed to radical ideological frameworks that taught you to view the world as oppressor and victim and America's at the center of this oppression or oppressor narrative. And here's Bin Laden playing that same game. 
And so, so if you're, if you've been, if that's all you know, if you've been seeped in this framework, then this Bin Laden letter fits right in it perfectly. These tragedies and calamities are only a few examples. Blah, 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 blah. It is commanded by our religion and intellect that the oppressed have a right to return the aggression. The oppressed. There he's talking about. Do not await anything from us but jihad, resistance, and revenge. It is in any way rational to expect that after America has attacked us for more than half a century, that we will then leave her. Oh, it's a question. Is it any way rational to expect that after America has attacked us for more than half a century, that we will then leave her to live in security and peace? And then it goes on to explain how all the American people are culpable for the policies of American foreign policy. So we're all to blame. That's why it's okay killing innocent people because we're, we're, no one's innocent, which is what Barack Obama said. This is why the American people cannot all be innocent of the crimes committed by the Americans and Jews against us. The whole article is about the Jews. too. Allah, the Almighty, legislated the permission and the option to take revenge. Thus, if we are attacked, by the way, have we, have we told the story of Allah, not Allah, uh, Muhammad uh, beheading 700 Jews. Like, the, like the, one of the first things he ever did was behead hundreds and hundreds of Jews. Uh, that, that's, their, that's their guy. Thus, if we are attacked, we have the right to attack back. Whoever has destroyed our villages and towns, then we have the right to destroy their villages and towns. Whoever has stolen our wealth, then we have the right to destroy their economy. And whoever has killed our civilians, then we have the right to kill theirs. There's more. You can read it all, but you get the idea. Now, here's uh, we can analyze this from a propaganda standpoint, which is kind of interesting, I think, because that's all this is. Here's an interesting line. Who can forget? This is Osama bin Laden. Who, I guess we, they say it. Who can forget your President Clinton's immoral acts committed in the Oval Office? After that, you did not bring him to account, other than that he made a mistake, after which everything passed with no punishment. Bringing up, bringing up Clinton, Clinton in the Oval Office. And then he says uh, that in America we have gambling here and we exploit women. Isn't that great? So what, what's up with these attacks? So these are attacks from the right. Like these, these are attacks that conservatives would make against this country. He's trying to appeal to conservatives. Then he takes uh, the attacks from the left. And he says, you Americans, you cater to the rich. You steal oil, you occupy other countries, you destroy nature. So he comes at the right. Oh, you guys are a bunch of gambling sex addicts. And then he comes from the, the left. Oh, you're, you, you guys hurt nature. You hurt the trees and the water. <laughs> clean water. You're not, you're not for clean water and you're for oil. So you're coming from both sides. So what this does, it makes Osama bin Laden seem like this neutral observer and arbiter of truth. Like he's above the fray. He's not bogged down by petty politics like we are here in America. He's a moral authority that can judge wisely. And then he just goes and blames the Jews for everything. Now forget about hypocrisy. Right? He says that America is a sex-fueled nation when he himself had hard drives full of pornography. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. Uh, let's play this clip. This is Yuri Bezmenov. He's a former Soviet spy who uh, defected to America. And he, he did all these lectures about propaganda. 
Ideological subversion is, is the slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, активные мероприятия in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow. Uh, let me go back. Let me go back. That's, that was really good. Let me, let me go back like 20 seconds. No one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. We can't defend ourselves, our families, our community, or our country. I, I, I would have gone the other way around, but I mean, whatever. I, we can't defend our country. We can't defend our community. We're going to talk about that a little later in the show. We can't defend the concept of the family. And we can't defend ourselves. We're so demoralized. We're so confused that today, and it's worse now, because th this letter, I guess, if it was written in 2002, it, 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 didn't, it didn't land. It didn't land in the American people. But now we've been, we're so different just 20 years later, young people in particular, are totally different, that the same letter can be dropped on this soil and, and sprout. Like, yep, makes sense. Boom, perfect. That's how demoralized we are. Amazing. All right, more. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already uh, for the last 25 years. Actually, it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his balls, then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation. Of the yeah, may, maybe not even then. That's the thing. Uh, so there's this guy, Hassan Abi. I don't, I don't know. Uh, he has 1.4 million followers on Twitter. He's one of the most famous progressive commentators in the country I've never heard of him. He said, America is bad. There's a mountain of evidence as to why. We live in a world where the U.S. is the hegemonic power. 
It takes tremendous amounts of violence and coercion to get there and keep that power. You think that's good. I think that's bad, and America should change its ways. Uh, here's some author, Gretchen Falconer Martin. Can pretty much safely state that Bin Laden and I did not agree on much, but blowing up the World Trade Center is probably the most principled and defensible thing he ever did. Okay, you see, see how much we've changed? There's, there's no doubt in my mind that if something like this happened, we wouldn't have a, a moment of unity, not for one second afterwards. We are a demoralized nation. We are a demoralized nation. You know, Osama kind of had a point. This is why we've spent so much time on Hamas and Israel over the last month. This is why we spent so much time. First of all, it's important for its own sake. But if you've been, if you've ever said, why are we spending so much time on, on Israel? It is a look into the crystal ball of America. Now, have no fear, it's already here. But when we get attacked, most people will blame America. If, if China or whoever attacks a hospital, here in America, most people will say, ah, it was our fault. Because they've been trained to think that way for their entire lives. And it's so hard for old people to get because it's crazy. And we haven't been trained like that. But imagine if your entire life you were. It's all you know. Then of course you would think it's our fault. Why would you not? It's how you've been taught. Let me give an example of how demoralized we are. This is a professor of religion at Skidmore College. And he wrote this on Twitter. He's a writer. He wrote this for Rolling Stones. He wrote an article at Rolling Stones. And he's a professor of religion at Skidmore College. He said, Mike Johnson, second in line to the presidency, flies a symbol of insurrection and violence outside his office. It is a window into his religious extremism. What is the Speaker of the House flying outside of his office? What, what do you think? What, what is the symbol of insurrection and violence? So this, this guy, this professor of religion, wrote an, uh, an article uh, in Rolling Stone about this, this, uh, this symbol outside of the office, and he posted a picture of it like, it, like it's some sort of investigative scoop, like it's some sort of uh, investigative uh, undercover video he found. It's a flag flying outside of the office in the hallway. Right? It's, not, it's not hiding it. He has two flags outside of the office, the flag of Louisiana and then this symbol of insurrection and violence. It is the, uh, not the Gadsden flag, it's the appeal to heaven flag. You've seen it before. It's the white flag with a green pine tree on it. And then above it, it says black letters. It says uh, an appeal to heaven. What is this symbol of violence? This is the flag that was used in the Continental Army on six frigates during the Revolutionary War commissioned by George Washington. The words appeal to heaven come from the writings of John Locke, second treatise on civil government. He was writing about and refuting the idea of divine right of kings. And he said, and where the body of the people or a single man is deprived of their right and have no appeal on earth, then they have a liberty to appeal to heaven whenever they judge the cause of sufficient moment. 
this is a this John Locke's writings were a massive source of inspiration to our founding father. Uh, so that's where the line came from, and the flag uh, commissioned by by George Washington, our founding father, founding our first president, and and now uh, now it's a flag representing insurrection and violence. But Osama bin Laden had a good point. You see what I mean? So Osama bin Laden was a freedom fighter, a patriot, an oppressed minority just fighting for freedom. And our founding fathers, well, they were straight white slave owners, the original oppressors. And an appeal to heaven is a symbol of religious extremism and insurrection. (laughs) You see what we're dealing with? So these people are trying to deconstruct America. They just have to wait. It's just, it's just a matter of time. Keep indoctrinating for another 10, 15, 20 years or so. You old conservatives will be dead. And, uh, and then they'll have everyone. They'll have total ideological control of everyone in this country. And Osama bin Laden will be able to walk right in. This, the next the Osama bin Laden, we shot him in the head. But the Osama bin Laden's of the future will be able to walk right in. And the American people will say, you know what? I think you're right. I think that guy's right. Yeah, we should be taken over. How about that? Welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. Always love talking to John Nolte, senior writer at Breitbart.com. John, how are you, sir? I'm, I'm very good, thank you. I'll, I'll try to be as wise and perspectively as I can. That was a, a bit of an a unfair setup for you. I apologize. Uh, Seinfeld went on this big rant one time when he was introduced in a podcast as the funniest man alive. And he's like, well, <laughs> like, what the heck, man? Like, what am I supposed to do now? So I apologize. <laughs> this will be an okay segment, everyone, with a guy uh, that, that I know. Um, so we were talking in the last segment, John, about uh, the demise of the small town. I want to get your, your thought on this. Uh, I'm reading this book by Bill Bryson called The Lost Continent, Travels in Small Town America. Oh, I forgot to even give the kicker of the book. So real quick, uh, he's born in Des Moines. He's like, I got to get out of Des Moines. He went to go live in Europe, and then his dad died, and he went back to Des Moines, and he was just depressed at the state of the small town that he grew up in. So then he traveled across the country trying to find it, and I haven't finished the book. I don't know how it ends. But, and he talks about the demise of these towns, and I forgot to give the kicker. The book was written in 1987. <laughs> right? Mm. So like, it's way it's worse. Bryson, yeah. Way worse right now. So anyway, we're talking about the good and the beautiful and the true and how conservatives need to focus more on the beautiful. And, and we're talking about against globalization and we talked about immigration, but it's not just immigration. It's also about the destruction of our towns. So I just wanted to throw that to you uh, and, and just our towns and the importance of them and the demise of them. My wife and I spend a lot of time on the road. Uh, we camp like for this, just already this year, and I think we're done though, but already this year we've been on the road two months. Wow. So, and when you camp, you spend a lot of time off the freeway. Most people, when they drive, they spend, you know, you're on the highway, you get on one exit, you get off another. It's a wonderful thing. But when you camp, you got to go to a campground and they're generally um, 
off the beaten path. So we drive through a lot of small towns. And small towns are uh, dying. Many of them are. But I look at this as an opportunity because property values are going to be very low in those small towns. You have the internet um, and you can, you can, people can get out of these urban areas and get out of the cities and get out of the suburbs and they can move to a small town pretty cheaply and people should take advantage of that. And it's not like it was in 1987. Um, and I think, I think Bill Bryson's a wonderful writer. Um, it's not like it was in 1987 where you didn't have the internet, you didn't have Amazon. Um, you know, my mom is as urban as they get, and she lived way up in northern Wisconsin. We were just there helping her out. And, you know, she had internet, and she had uh, satellite TV, and she had Amazon. So it's, these small towns are an opportunity, and they're a wonderful place to live. People in these small towns are the best Americans, and I can tell you that. I love Americans all over the country. I love urban Americans. I love Americans, period. But the best Americans are small town Americans because they, they kind of know they're under siege and they know they need to stick together. Um, and there's just a different, I don't know, it's almost like you're castaways together and everybody wants <laughs> to help each other out. So I think it's an opportunity for people to move and move cheaply. Yeah. If I, if this would be my dream. If I had a lot of money to invest, I would, I would like, I would really, really invest in these, in these towns in these in the uh, like the old commercial dish, like they, they used to have the courthouse in the middle, and then the stores around the square, and I would just want to buy a bunch of those, and I don't know, subsidize restaurants and stores, and make them a nice thriving place again. But that's an uphill battle. God bless the people who are doing it. Yeah, and it, it just you know you 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 drive through these towns, you know we drove through this town in West Virginia just just last week or the week before. And there's all these flags on every telephone pole, on every light pole. And my wife said, "Was it? What is it? A holiday today?" And she looked it up on her phone. <laughs> no, it wasn't a holiday. That's just how these people are. And <laughs> it is a. It built, he's right. It is a different continent, but it's a wonderful. It's a wonderful continent. It's a wonderful place to visit. And a wonderful place to live. Mm. Uh, we moved a couple months ago to Franklin, Tennessee, and I was with a bunch of friends and back in San Diego and they said, Oh, why do you want to move? And the first thing I said was it's, I said the architecture, <laughs> I don't know. It was late at night. I forget if I said the architecture or the town. I think I even said the architecture and they busted out laughing. They mocked me because, mm -hmm. because the downtown is so beautiful and vibrant and thriving and wonderful and San Diego is very ugly and does not have small towns in it. Uh, and they couldn't get it. And uh, I accepted the mockery because one day they'll visit and they'll be like, oh, <laughs> it's like very nice. Here. Yeah. There are still small towns right out of movies from 1950 with the, the, the you know, one side of both sides of one street are all these little businesses. There's no chain stores. There's no Walmarts, the schools nearby. There's a ton of these small towns all over the country, and they're just waiting for people to, to discover them. Um, and, you know, it, it, is, it is a different way of living. I mean, if you enjoy restaurants and you enjoy going to plays, uh, that's, that's going to change. But if you just want to live with nice people and no crime 
where you know everybody knows the local police officers and your neighbor volunteers for the fire department that's that's the way to go i was visit, i was up at my folks house his nearest neighbor my fo- my folks nearest neighbor is a mile away he's a farmer he stopped by he invited me over to dinner with his family i sat down with his family the whole time i'm there the the walkie's going off because he's a volunteer fire department uh, <laughs> fireman yeah. and he's waiting for a call it was just a wonderful experience just just great people uh, i know i asked you a couple weeks ago about normal people and you <laughs> i just love it i think about it every once in a while um so the other day it was before veterans day what was i reading i was reading something and i, and I came across this word um uh france profond the France profound, profound, deep France, this idea of deep France. And it's, it's this idea that the, these rural places all throughout France, that is the true France. And, and they work hard intentionally to maintain the true French, French identity. Like, like the, the mayor will have a four course lunch with wine because that's what mm-hmm. we do in France, darn it. And no matter how crazy Paris gets, you can always fall back on deep France. And I was like, Oh, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, and we had that in America. It was called Real America. And I remember Nancy Pelosi would use that. Not, not Nancy Pelosi. Um, of course not. Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin would talk about Real America and was mocked mercilessly by The Daily Show and Jon Stewart for this, oh, Real America. And it's like, oh, no, no, that's, that's a real thing. That's a real concept. Yeah, there, there are two Americas. There's urban America and there's the rest of us. There are two Americas, and it's not not John Edwards' version of it, but there's two cultures in this country, and there's normal people, and there's these urban Democrats who keep voting for failure even as their cities crash around their ears. And you get out in the real world, you get out in real America, you get out in normal America, in red America, and life is so good you'll hardly – you can hardly believe it. You You can hardly stand it. And you watch, if you live out here like I do, and then you watch the news, all you could do is chuckle that these people are living in despair and dirt and pollution and hate crimes and gun violence. It's all happening in blue America. And out here in red America, where we're all supposed to be the violent racists, life is tolerant and peaceful. It's just, it's awesome. Um, There's two different directions I want to go. Remind me to ask you about Ben Stein. We talked with Ben Stein earlier. Uh, But let me, you mentioned news. So let me, I meant to send you this email. I didn't, sorry. Uh, someone said, Slater, I latched onto what Nolte said about watching the news and how it clouded his moral judgments. Uh, I want to know how he and you and people in the industry deal with the news and social media and all that. You have to participate in it, but it's unhealthy for your worldview and your soul. So you said last week when you used to cover the news, you'd have five, te- five televisions yeah. going on at once? Five sewer pipes. Pumped right in my house. <laughs> right in your soul. Oh, how did you do it? And what's your advice for the rest of us who even just have one thing, one sewer pipe? I, you know, I think I would just got, as you get older, you get a little wiser. And that's all. And I remember, I remember the moment it happened. I was, they were going on about something, the media, something dumb. You know, like this comment that, that Trump made a couple of days ago where he used the, used, used the word vermin. I mean, the whole world's exploding and, and the media is freaking out over the word vermin. It was something like that that was happening about 10 years ago. And this is, this is true. This is going to sound like I'm making it up, but this is true. I have to take my garbage to the landfill myself. And I Which had to do it. Which is a very small it. town so, thing, by the way, going to the dump, seeing all the neighbors at the dump. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's one of my favorite things to do. My dad, my uh, dad loved going to the dump. 
every every Saturday morning. Went to the dump. This is one of his favorite things to do. Anyway, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, and I and I so I loaded my pickup truck and I drove to the and I, the stuff that was on the TVs on my mind, you know, and I just think, oh my god, something, and I don't remember what it was, but it was something dumb, like the vermin content would come in. and I'm at the dump, and I'm throwing my garbage in the dumpsters, and everybody's just hanging out, everything's just normal, everything, nobody's talking about what is stressing me out, and then I had to go to the paint store to get some paint. And we all, you have to wait, and there's a coffee machine there, free coffee, and we're all standing around, and we're drinking free coffee. And there's these, you know, there's people of every possible background there because we have a lot of Mexican immigrants here that come up to work in the summer. And we're all just hanging around talking, and I, it just, it, and that's what it hit me, that the media is not real life. And that was a total sea change from, from my point of view, and now I just laugh at the media. The media used to make me angry. It used to stress, then it, then it stressed me out, and now it's just I just laugh at the media because it represents n- nothing that means anything to me. And if you're smart enough and you're wise enough, you'll realize that nothing that the media says means anything to you either. You just have to separate yourself from it and go live your life. Where does Breitbart.com fall into that, into the new decisions that we make as people? Yeah, the, what's great about Bright, Breitbart is not trying to stress you out. We're just trying to clarify things. We're, we're not, we're not, we're not click whoring. We're just trying to tell you this is what's happening and this is why it matters and why we don't lie. And it's, it's, we don't lie about blowing something up that doesn't matter. And we don't lie. Now people are going to disagree with this, but I'm just telling you what our intent is. And we don't, we don't lie to, to push an agenda that we believe in. And then they allow people like me to get on the site and say, you know, the news doesn't really matter. So stop worrying about it. Yeah, you want to be informed, but don't get obsessed over this stuff. And that's what happens is that people get obsessed over the news. My mom, God love her, she watches MSNBC 24-7. My mom too. She's totally, yeah, she's totally caught up in the narrative. She's waiting for the story to end, even though it's never going to end. And that's just no way, that's just no, no way to live your life. But you can go to Breitbart.com and there's other websites as well to get clarity Clarity is important. You know, even even Fox News, they're just trying to get you riled up. They're trying to ruin your day because you're going to spend all day worrying about whether someone's going to be able to fly a flag in their trailer park in nowhere, Florida, you know, because the HOA is mean. You know, you worry about dumb stuff. And we we try to clarify and we try to add perspective um, to, to, in context. And that that, I think, is a soothing thing as opposed to the way. The, the corporate media behaves, and that includes Fox News. We, uh, so we talked to Ben Stein earlier today, and uh, I was like, that's pretty neat. He's got a new book on Nixon. So I, f- I forget even how we got on it, but he was, he was talking about how America's great, and we're so prosperous, and uh, he's like, oh, I'm in my pool, and there's palm trees, and it's so nice and wonderful. <laughs> and I, I, said, uh, I said, can you be too prosperous? And he says, no. He got like kind of like a little angry, like, no, like impossible. And then I was like, well, can prosperity make you soft? And he goes, he's like still angry. He's like, no, no. That, but, and then I think I said one other thing. And he goes, well, my son did commit suicide two months ago because we babied him his entire life. And he had an endless flow of money and never had to take care of himself and got on psychotropic drugs 
and killed himself. So, and then he goes, well, so maybe you do have a point, Slater. <laughs> I was like, oh, jeez. I had no oh idea. Oh, gosh. I had no idea. Uh, he had, he had this, so he wrote an article about it. I had no idea when I was asking that question. I don't think I would have asked that question, especially if I knew two months ago his uh, kid uh, committed suicide. But he had a line. Um, it was very, uh, all right, here it is. Um, he died the victim of modern life. He was at the end of a nonstop fountain of money from his wife, from his mom and me. So he's like, yes, later. I guess wow. you're right. You convinced me. So anyway, I know it's like dark. I had no intention of going there with, with Mr. Stein. But um, what about this modern life today? Well, it's, I believe, and this is just my personal opinion. Politically, I'm a libertine. I think adults should be able to do whatever they want as long as they don't interfere with the rights of other adults um, or anyone else. I, you know, politically, that's my point of view. I would never pass a law, you know, making adultery illegal or pornography illegal. You know, consenting adults, my name's Paul, that's between y'all. As a Christian, I see modern life as something that is demonic because it's taking us away from God. Um, social media, uh, the, 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 this constant, constant screens in our faces, uh, the ease of modern life. Uh, and I think the most important thing is that we're not, even though, even though everything is so easy, even though everything, you know, you hit a button and stuff comes to your door and it's amazing. And I want to point out, I am as guilty of this as anyone. I'm in no way speaking from above, um, but there's no, we have no time to reflect. There's no boredom anymore. There's no time where you just turn off and you just got to, you're just alone with yourself. And I think it's when you're alone with yourself that you find God and it's alone with, your, with yourself that you find wisdom. And that's with the phone and the streaming TV and everything. It's just constant. That's a, that's, a, that's a very negative thing. And I think one of the reasons people, this, is, this explosion of, of antidepressants is that no one has time to reflect. No one has time to think. And when, when you, if you're, you know, when I was punished as a kid, I was sent to my room for a weekend. It was the worst punishment you could give me. <laughs> but I understand, why my, I understand why my parents did it, because I had to sit there and think. And when you think, you grow. And that's being taken away from us. And now I think that's why people are turning to these drugs because they're not growing emotionally, which means they're, they remain these very unhappy babies and they take the drugs to try and make them happy when they really just need to think and reflect and just say, you know, I'm wrong about things. I grew up on a farm. Um, I mean, uh, I matured on a farm. My maturity happened on a farm. I had to spend a summer on a farm. There was no TV. And when I, I, I was always in my own head on the tractor, loading hay bales mm. after work, sitting on the porch, there was nothing to do. And that's when I know I matured as, 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 as a person. I was, I was 19 years old. And if I had matured, I never would have been able to win my wife's love. So that's the, the curse of modern life is, is the lack of boredom, the lack of reflection. It's just 24 seven input. And it's not good for you because you have to live inside your head for a while to figure out, why am I unhappy? And if you're playing video games all the time, you're never going to figure that out. So you're going to take drugs instead. I catch myself checking my phone as I walk down the hallway 
And then yeah. sometimes I'll be checking my phone. I'll be literally, I'll check my email. And as I'm checking my email, I think I should check my email. You know, like that's how, that's how screwed up. That's how like addicted I can get is I'm, I'm in the midst of doing a thing and I'm, I'm like, I need to do more of the thing. <laughs> you're like, Oh, you're doing the thing. And I just like, I got to put this whole thing down. Uh, one of the smartest men ever to have lived is uh, Blaise Pascal, and I love this quote. And this isn't exactly the quote, but he said, uh, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's, an, that's an absolute fact. And it's, my brother has, uh, uh, has a, uh, two kids, 13, I think 11, and he enforces boredom on them. <laughs> he forces it. You've got to be bored. And, it's, and I think that's a, that's a very, very smart thing to do. Wow. So I worry, um, I, I worry a lot about raising kids. So we have a seven, five, three and one. And it's weird. Cause we want, we I think for like 150 years in this country, like one of the points of life is to work hard. So you can give your kids a better life than you had. And that's like a noble, good thing. But I think, can you reach like a prosperity max where, all right, well, we got a 3000 square foot house with 65 inch TVs and a pool and all this thing. And that's like, well, you can't do better than this materialistically. This is it. What do you, I mean, what do you want? And I think kids realize they can't do better. And I think that leads to a lot of hopelessness as well. When all you have is a materialistic framework to deal with, but like, how can you do better? How can I get my kids better? I think if I try to do better in the materialistic way for my kids, it will only make it worse for them. Yeah. And that's, I'm not, I'm not trying to, pitch my book, but that was, that, that is such a theme that I find so fascinating in, 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 in the book that I wrote, that was a made, that's a major theme in the book is how is the double edged sword of prosperity. It's wonderful. There's no ringworm. There's no bumpy carriage rides. No one's, no one's putting leeches on you. But the, the, the other side of the sword is that we don't appreciate anything. And we, we, we don't understand just how good we have it. And you're right. What, how, and when we say we're, our kids are going to be better off, I think we tend to think materialistically. And how are you going to get better off materialistically than we are right now when poor people live like pharaohs did? I mean, poor people have air conditioning. They have microwaves. They have video games. They have iPhones. They have free health care. You know, we've, that problem has all been solved. So what does it mean now to say that your kids are going to be you know, better off than you are. And I think you got to look beyond the size of the TV. Um, and this prosperity is, is a wonderful thing, but it's also a curse. And like I said, just as far as my Christian beliefs, I, I see it, I see it as demonic. And again, I'm like you, I'm on the phone all the time, but when I retire, the phone's going in the garbage. Yeah. Uh, if I, if I can, you know what I mean, like if you can, if you can yeah. withdraw hard enough to do it. Uh, the book's borrowed time, by the way. Go buy the book. Um, let me ask you one political question. And we can uh, let you get on with your life. Uh, this, so one of, the, one of my laments of having the morning show here is we don't get a lot of California callers. It's too early. And uh, we just don't talk a lot about California news. Even though I was in San Diego, so I still have like a California mindset with news. So uh, I don't think California stuff gets enough attention and it should because what a crystal ball that we need to look into. So what happened in San Francisco and the fact that they finally cleaned up the streets for the weekend is, uh, is hilarious and amazing and such an opportunity because I, I hope, and this is what I want to ask you, that people are, do you think people will walk out of their apartment 
see what is possible, see a clean sidewalk and flowers growing and they fixed the sidewalk and they painted the bridge and they, they like actually like fixed things. They didn't just clean things. They fixed things. Do you think those people of San Francisco will, will demand that type of respect for not just the communist president of China, but for they, the taxpayer as well? No, no. I think that uh, these urban Democrat voters are, and I wrote this earlier this week about this very story. It's like battered women syndrome. They, the, their, their hatred of Republicans, their hatred of anything on the right is so strong. They're, they're living in filth and they prefer that to admitting we might be right about something. Their hatred of the right is so strong. They're siding with the, with, with Hamas because they hate Netanyahu and their hatred of the right is so strong that Newsom, the governor of California can come out and just point at them and laugh at them and say, yeah, did, did we clean up this for, for, uh, for China's dictator? Yeah, we did. You could just come out and say that and show total contempt for them. And they don't care because their, their prejudice towards the right is that strong that they're just willing to watch their cities implode. I mean, the, the Chicago mayor who just got elected earlier this year has a, an approval rating of 28%. I mean, they voted for that idiot, 28%, but they're not, never going to vote for a Republican because they're bigotry and they're so brainwashed that they would rather watch their city implode than say, you know what, maybe maybe we should put people in jail. Maybe maybe we should let uh, let people carry guns. Maybe, you know, there's maybe we should get rid of these public unions that are destroying our city. Maybe we should uh, vote for politicians who will allow our kids to go to private schools because then maybe the public schools will clear up. They won't do it. They just won't do it because they hate us that much. Now we're at the point where young people are saying, you know what? Osama bin Laden kind of had a good point. Yep. How about that? Young people, young Democrats. Mm. Those are Democrats. <laughs> Why the distinction? Because it's important that people understand that that all of these all of this stuff that's happening. Remember the media the media brainwashes us. If something terrible happens in red America, it's a Republican problem. If something terrible happens in blue America, it's an American problem. And it's important that we in new media distinguish that these are Democrats. The the, the people who are online um, gushing over Osama bin Laden are young Democrats. They're young leftists. They're Joe Biden supporters. Um, they're not Americans. You know, Americans don't behave that way. I mean, they are Americans, but they're in a distinct class of Americans. And we need to remind people that it is the Democratic Party that is full of violence and anti-Semitism um, and failure. So it's all, always distinguished. It's Democrat-run San Francisco, it's Democrat-run Chicago, and it's young Democrats who are falling in love with bin Laden. Calling in from beautiful North Carolina, John Nolte, Breitbart News senior writer. Thank you, John. All right, buddy. Have a good weekend. Have a great Thanksgiving. Hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving week. Uh, if I may plug a different podcast of mine, uh, 
we, we ended the show today talking about Indians and some contributions that the Indians made to us and our character. Uh, good things. Um, and I forgot to mention this, and I should have. Uh, this whole week on my other podcast, Politics by Faith, we're going to talk about uh, the pilgrims and how we have to have a pilgrim mindset in our lives every single day. Uh, it's uh, on the podcast, uh, Politics by Faith. Hope you can join us over there as well. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word.